Welcome, everyone, to another fantastic edition of the Tavern Voices podcast. My name is Kevin King, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Tyler Crawley. How's it going, my friend? It's good. It's good. It's uh, actually not raining, so pretty darn good, considering uh, this is one of the few reprieves that we've got over the last week, and we'll continue probably to get for another week and a half. So the fact, whenever it's not raining and you're talking to me, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of rain that we've had in the last two weeks. Mm. I think I think we were I think conservatives took the wrong position on this global warming thing. I don't know. Do you think we've <laughs> been wrong the whole time? Starting to freak me out a little bit. Not gonna lie. <laughs> have you been watching uh, the day after tomorrow again? I have. I have. Jake Gyllenhaal just he wins me over every time. Those dreamy eyes. What can I say? Well, <laughs> well, you know, I, I know another movie of his that's probably one of your favorites, but. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, what do you, oh, I got it. We'll just I let that sit that. for let Donnie it. Darko was good. You're right. That Donnie was good. Darko is a fantastic, a fantastic film. Um, anything else exciting been going on though? Since last week, we're, we're three weeks in a row. So I just have to really put that out there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, I think four, we get a set of steak knives. Does that mean people should get us something for our fourth anniversary? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that's I think the the podcast world gives us steak knives. I don't know. I've I've heard that there's some sort of community and I think we get steak knives. So I'm just putting that out there. Hmm. Well, maybe at one point we'll be able to afford steaks to go with the knives. <laughs> but yes, one day, one day. But for now the knives are good. Knives are good. I can I can eat, you know, hamburger with the steak knives. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to start off with some good news tonight, Tyler, because I know that I have a piece of information that you have been waiting for for years. A report came out today that said that Medicare for all could finally be a reality. The good part is it would only cost roughly $32.6 trillion over the next decade. The study was conducted by the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, which is admittedly libertarian-leaning, so you can take it for what it is. Um, So, of course, you have Bernie Sanders firing back against this awful libertarian organization, and uh, somehow he blamed the Koch brothers – instead of math for the problem with the study. Uh, In fact, Sanders went on to say, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said, if every major country on earth can guarantee health care to all, so can we. Tyler, I want to ask you, which failed single payer country is your favorite? Is it Canada, Great Britain, Sweden, or, uh, or another one? Uh, well, first, first, I, I, I do want to correct something real quick. Um, you said three point six trillion over ten years. It's thirty six trillion. No, it's three point six. Sorry, thirty two point six trillion. Yes, thirty two point six trillion. That's right. It's it's uh, three point six or three point two a year yes, is what it's going to cost. And uh, what I saw, what kind of fascinating was, someone said that you took all the net worth of all the billionaires that existed in this country and seized their wealth, everything, assets, everything. It's two point seven trillion. So if we so everyone that says like, oh, like, you know, people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who says, How would we pay for this when asked by Trevor uh, Noah on the Daily Show? Which I love that that's like one of the only outlets that actually like asked her that question. <laughs> everyone else is like, tell us how awesome it is to be you and how awesome your plans are. He actually asked, like, how are you gonna pay for all this? And she said, Well, we'll just have people pay their fair share. Uh, even though that wouldn't even come – if we seized all of their assets, we wouldn't even be able to pay for this one proposal. And it just goes to show you how ridiculous it is that the Democrats continue to actually build 
a coalition. I mean, the more and more people are getting on this Medicare for all proposal. And it is starting to worry me because before it was always like, you know, the wackadoos like Kamala Harris would be on board and Elizabeth Warren. But more and more Democrats are getting on board and the fewer moderate Democrats that exist in the Senate means pretty soon all the Democrats in the Senate could be on board because they're all going to be kind of radical status leftists. But what really upsets me is that I'm about to be on Medicare and now everyone gets it. That upsets me probably the most. So why are you going on Medicare? Because <laughs> I'm I'm going to be 65 pretty soon. It feels like, aren't I? Is oh, that, I'm doing okay. the math right? Yeah, yeah. I'm using the co- I'm using the Coke brother math. So I'm 36 now. I'll be 65 next year. So I'm going to be on Medicare. So I'm going to be good. I felt like Ed McMahon that you were teeing me up for a joke. So <laughs> you know, it's like, so how old are you? Um, I love that you went to how all of the wealthy people would somehow pay for this because what you left out of that is that if you took all of their wealth and assets and everything and liquidated it, how much it would reduce that burden. But that's for one year. Then there are yeah, no more year. business owners. There is no more wealth <laughs> yeah. to liquidate. I mean, it's no like, more economic. <laughs> it's like saying, do you know how much we could eat if we went and robbed a Walmart? But then once Walmart is empty, there's no more food for anyone. And what do you eat the next year and the year after that and the year after that? Right. It, it's completely unsustainable. And I did a little math myself to try to figure out exactly what this would mean in terms because they always say, well, we need to raise taxes. Civilized societies have higher tax rates than we do. Right. They always point to Sweden's outrageous tax rate. So I looked at our current tax rate and we collect in revenues at the federal government level about 18 percent of GDP, a little bit less than that. So this coming year, the estimate is three, uh, three point three, four trillion dollars in total revenue to run the entire government. Now, mind you that that is still with a trillion dollar deficit. So it's really costing us about four point three trillion dollars to run the government. So add an additional 3.26 trillion into that and you're looking at darn near tripling tax rates on everyone. I mean that's corporate tax rates, individual tax rates, payroll, estate taxes. I mean pretty much when you die they're just going to take everything from everyone. So I would love someone to to really point out to me how this is even even a possibility if we lived in a socialist utopia, because if you look at the average, uh, if you take the median salary, it's around what forty five thousand dollars. That equates to mm-hmm. about thirty three hundred dollars a year per individual in federal income taxes alone. So triple that. You're talking about ten thousand a year per person just to cover health insurance. You're not talking about all of the other needs we're going to have between military education, everyone else who's fighting for a piece of the pie. Well, I saw someone put it out that, well, currently right now we're spending $4.3 trillion talking about, I guess, the private sector. And so this would actually be a net – or maybe it was $3.3. It was basically – it would somehow be like a $200 billion net savings uh, for our economy, except for the fact that if you look at the UK and all these other plans out there, they have private insurance. There's private insurance. There's private markets because the government insurance sucks. I mean, plain and simple. Yeah, I remember there's the the – who is it that made the comment about how – you know, in in Britain, you don't die on the street from, you know, not being too poor to be able to afford health care. It's like, yeah, you die in the bed because they never got around to you because there's so many people that they're trying to deal with. It was like 30 people last year or maybe more than that. I don't remember the number died of thirst because they forgot to hydrate them. 
uh, people. That, that's how that's how poor the management is over there, and how bad the system is. It's just it's a mess. It's not going to work. It, it it's uh, it, these numbers are accurate as you put it out. These aren't. This isn't Coke math. This is this is regular math, and it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and yet they keep pushing it, and it doesn't matter if Bernie Sanders says it or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez says it. It's a bad idea. Yeah, and I'll I'll end my thought process with this. If there are people who are listening and want to do research, I found a great uh, piece by the Pacific Research Institute that goes through all of these single payer systems internationally and talks about the wait times in Canada, how long it takes to actually have a procedure after you even see a specialist. I mean, you're talking six months to go from your primary physician to actually getting any sort of procedure done, whereas in the United States, it could be a week. Um, you know, or even sooner, depending on your emergency. Um, there are a lot of benefits that we have in this country. And so if you want to Google that, that Pacific Research Institute article. Well, I think it's also important to note that there was also a great documentary um, done on this back in the 70s and I think early 80s. I think it's on Netflix. It's called Fantasy Island. So if you'd like to get more information on Medicare for all, you can always watch Fantasy Island on Netflix as well. All right. Speaking of craziness, Leslie, I'm not even going to get through this story. So you got to bear with me. Leslie Cockburn, that is her name, a Democrat who is running for Congress in Virginia's fifth district on Twitter this Sunday. Cockburn accused her Republican opponent, Denver Riggleman, of being a devotee of Bigfoot erotica. Her tweet included a crudely drawn image of Bigfoot with the monster's genitalia obscured, taken from Riggleman's Instagram account. She added, this is not what we need on Capitol Hill. Reached by phone on Monday, Riggleman said he has no... um, he has no interest at all in Bigfoot erotica, and they characterized Cockburn's accusations as ludicrous, saying we were stunned by it. He said that he did write an anthropo- anthropological book on a sort based on a parody and satire, which has been a running joke with a bunch of his military pals for 14 years. Riggleman said, quote, I thought it was funny, and there's no way that anybody's dumb enough to think this is real. Kevin, is Bigfoot erotica gate as dumb or dumber then Bernie Sanders plan to provide Medicare for all. Well, they are both grounded firmly in fiction. <laughs> yes. Exactly. They're both explicit. You have about <laughs> the same chance of catching Bigfoot as having successful single payer. Uh, that's probably where the similarities run out to me. Not going to lie. I, I, <laughs> I refuse to say um, much more about Bigfoot erotica on any sort of public format. This is the most bizarre story. I think I've, I don't want to say I've ever seen because stuff coming out of Florida every day is bizarre news. But the fact that I I love in this article, they talk about, there are dozens of eBooks on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Self-published, self-published. Self, self, I mean, (laughs) I'm surprised that Rand McNally or some big publishers haven't. Do they just do geography? Is that the only publisher I know that has? I I really need to brush up on my book publishers. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of books on Amazon about this. Um, Running for office is just getting very strange these days, Tyler. Just very, very bizarre. Who is coming out of their in particular closet to run for office? Well, I think it's also because the press rewards this. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I brought it up was because last night on Twitter, things started going crazy. And then everyone's talking about, I seriously thought this was going to be like a Sasha Baron Cohen skit from his new show. Like what is America or whatever it's called. I, I seriously thought this, I was like, the woman's name's Cockburn, uh, Bigfoot erotica, Virginia. You already got that crazy guy in Virginia, Corey Stewart running for governor. So like, why not? What better state to highlight some of the ridiculousness in politics. And from what I can tell, this is like a hundred percent legit, but what's so weird is how this is almost flying under the radar. Like, can you imagine five years ago, six years ago, if a race someone was in, in for Congress and someone was talking about Bigfoot erotica, this would be like the biggest, craziest story. But because we're in this age of Trump and, you know, post the Clinton era and all the bizarro stuff that happens online, it really isn't that shocking. And to me, that is what's shocking about this story is that people are like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, just think about it. Right now, we're currently having a discussion about the president of the United States and did he sleep with Karen McDougal, a Playboy playmate? Did he pay her off? Use cash, no cash. What do you say on tape? Storm, Stormy Daniels got gets arrested in Ohio. She's claiming, you know, making accusations against the president, going on these uh, strip club tours. And it's just like, that's happening with the most serious topics in the news I guess I can see why the story doesn't get front page <laughs> even though in any other news cycle in any other year it would definitely be yeah. like this bizarre story how how can someone yeah. bring this up in a congressional race but now it actually doesn't seem that crazy no and and you're exactly right I've thought a lot about this about how like when will there be any sort of dignity returned to political office? I mean, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that they called politicians these crooked, awful people for so many years. And now we're just living in House of Cards. It's just that's how things are going to be. I wish we're- it was House of Cards. Like at least <laughs> there's like a grand strategy in House of Cards. Like to me, it just feels like everything's just sewn together. Out of convenience. Like, well, I mean, it's, it, yeah, the first two seasons of House of Cards. True. You true. Know. That's right. It did get a little crazy after that. But no, I mean, it's it just it just feels like and we reward it. I mean, and there's no punishment for saying crazy things. I mean, think about how many times we've seen a Republican or a Democrat senator say something crazy. And the whole news media goes nuts. And then it's like, oh, whoops, never mind. That didn't happen. And then we all just kind of move on because the next story's grabbed our attention. And so, yeah, why not? You get a few cable hits, you get a few, you know, call-ins on talk shows and you get some attention. So there's no punishment. There will be no punishment for Leslie Cockburn for making this a story. And in fact, we all know her name now. She might get some donations out of it. So she'll probably end up benefiting from this instead of being ridiculed. No, it's, it's really bizarre. <laughs> and, and it does seem like every week all we do is talk about some sort of bizarre thing that a politician has done or has on their social media from 10 years ago that they completely forgot about. And in fact, you know, we talked here just a couple of episodes ago about how there was that crazy uh, racist Republican guy saying all kinds of stuff on the Internet, um, you know, down in eastern North Carolina, I believe, is where yeah. he was from. And the, obviously the GOP came out and ostracized him. And now, and you know, here we are a couple of episodes later, and at least I get to be fair and balanced and talk about this crazy racist Democratic candidate here in North Carolina. Her name is Kathy Von Hassel Davis. And 
Unfortunately, she couldn't even hyphenate her way out of this mess with apparently what surfaced was a profanity-laced blog post from about 2006. I tried to go through it to bring some excerpts here for our listening pleasure, and in all honesty, I really couldn't even read most of it on here out loud because there would really be so many beeps that I'd sound like the roadrunner. So, Tyler, <laughs> I'm just going to shift this back over to you. What do you make of a this crazy racist Democratic candidate and her disdain for effing Mexicans? Yeah, it's interesting that she's a Democrat. Um, running because, you know, once again, in the age of Trump, it's the Republicans who show the animosity towards, you know, Hispanics and immigrants and everything else. And here you have this Democrat who, and what was the name of the blog? It was like the floral blog. I mean, is she like a florist or what was going on with the blog? Like it had like a a floral theme, didn't it? Oh, yes. It is Cat's Crafty Corner. The tagline yeah, that's what the tagline is. being one of the best parts, a German born Yankee living under Carolina blue and loving it. Yeah, it's it, it's very weird. Like when I saw the the screen cap, I would thought she would have been given advice on like. I, I, I don't know. Cross stitching, like a, like a, <laughs> yeah, like cross stitching, and you know all that stuff on Pinterest and how to make the best like wreath with home objects. It's like, and she's like talking about like Mexicans and like the immigration problem on this blog, which I think just goes to show that deep down everybody wants to be a political talk show host, <laughs> which, is what I, which is what I found out. Like all the craziness on ESPN with people, like no one wants to stay in their lane anymore. It's like, you know, back in the day, you had people that talked about entertainment news. You had people that talked about sports news. You had people that kind of talked about, you know, regular news. And then you had opinionated columnists and opinionated, you know, talk show hosts. But now we've all become political talk show hosts. Like, I mean, how how that came up, like I didn't I haven't seen any of the other excerpts. So maybe she was talking a lot about current affairs in her blog. I have no idea. But that blog was so unassuming. I, I mean, I would have thought, like I said, it was like she was telling stories and posting photos of like her grandkids and stuff. And she's going on rants about she's going on like Trump esque rants about the Mexicans sneaking over the border and causing all these problems. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised she actually didn't get out of the race earlier. The Democratic Party clearly doesn't want that. I mean, they're supposed to be the party of tolerance and the party of of open borders. And here you got someone going on a rant. But what's interesting is it does highlight, and that's another reason they probably wanted her gone, is Democrats act like they've been the party of tolerance for so long. I mean, go back and listen to video and audio of Bill Clinton or even Obama like 10 years ago and how strict they were on immigration. And, you know, they, they were making populist arguments like Trump does. And then all of a sudden, like I said, Trump came about and now they've gone whatever the opposite. They just basically do whatever the opposite of what Trump does. And so now they're open borders, get rid of ICE, you know, immigrants are better than the people that live here because people live here are awful. But the reality is, is that (laughs) there are people in their party who are just as concerned um, about immigration and were just as racist as people on the right. And they act like, you know, their party has gotten rid of all that was the old Democrats, right? Like the, they always like to say like the, 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 the Democrats that voted against the Civil Rights Act. Oh, that was Democrats from a long time ago. We've evolved. Well, not enough or not far enough, apparently, because there are still people in the party 
that hold racist views and they tried to run for office. But yeah, they had to get her out of there. I mean, that, that was a bad that was a bad image for oh, the they, Democrats. They had to. And anytime someone brings that up, I also ask them what year Robert Byrd retired from the U.S. Senate. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's what we would like to call <laughs> modern history. It, it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, you know, one, one last thing I, I wanted to mention on, on this particular story is one of the quotes that I can kind of piece together from her from her uh, ranting here, um, which, by the way, the, the title of the blog post said ranting and ravings of perhaps a lunatic self <laughs> self ascribed there. And she went on to say um, the U.S. the U.S. spends how much of our tax dollars putting up signs in Spanish and American so I'm just going to kick that back over to you, Tyler. How, how well is your American going these days? I know you've always struggled <laughs> speaking American. I, you know, Republicans make this argument. It The people that get upset about Spanish signs or labels, 90% of them are private sector. You know, like a store has, you know, Spanish labels or uh, on a product or an instruction manual. There aren't anywhere near as many government signs as people claim that there are. Now, I don't know. I'm not in California or some of these other places that have a very large Hispanic population. So I don't know. But in, Cal- in, in, in Carolina and North Carolina, 90% are private sector. And the private sector can do whatever the hell they want. So if they want to have Spanish-American signs – then they can do that. But you are right. I think she meant English is what she meant. Correct. I, I assume that's we can only assume what her ranting meant, my friend. That is very true. Very true. Um, all right. So my first story was kind of a joke talking about Bigfoot erotica. My second one, not so much. Very big concern here in southeastern North Carolina. So first, a little background. In 2015, in Columbus County town of Fairbluff, police chief Marty Lewis was sentenced to over 10 years in prison for drug trafficking while on the job. I guess if he'd been off the clock, it would have been. Oh, okay. totally. Um, the year, <laughs> yeah. In the year prior, Emmett Balry, former police chief of Boiling Springs Lake, was sentenced to serve 45 days and 18 months of unsupervised probation after Balry Balry was indicted after allowing his son, a convicted felon, to fire a submachine gun at a law enforcement firing range in front of other officers. And then finally, last week on Thursday, Southport's first and second in command, Chief Gary Smith and Lieutenant Michael Simmons, were arrested following a lengthy SBI and FBI investigation. Smith and Simons are accused of operating a secondary trucking business while on the department's clock. That's not all. Two DAs and two sheriffs in southeastern North Carolina have also been convicted of crimes, including Democrat Governor Mike Easley. Kevin, it is very true that blue lives matter, but is it maybe possible that blue gossip matters too and that all these rumors that we hear about corrupt cops and other things we should start paying closer attention to? Uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) listen, if you, North Carolina is somehow, I mean, it's probably not exclusively to North Carolina, but granted, I don't keep up with much local news elsewhere. Um, it's the bastion of like local government corruption, right? Yeah. You have, I mean, you can sit here and just, you just rattled off. Hold on. Let me scroll back up. So two district attorneys, two sheriffs, three police chiefs, 
That's just southeastern mm-hmm. North Carolina. Now yeah. let's move to Raleigh, where we have had the Register of Deeds step down for embezzling uh, nearly a million dollars in um, in cash that they don't they have no idea where it went, um, as well as some of her staff. Then you move to Asheville, which we have chronicled, I think, a little bit on this show about the Buncombe County manager, Wanda Green, who is up to almost $4 million in embezzlement and misappropriation of funds. She's been indicted by the FBI. Now, granted, all of these people were Democrats, I believe. That's neither here nor there. The point being is that if you talk to people in government, they say that these leaders get into public service to to advance the community and to and to be multicultural and promote diversity and all of these buzzwords when really at the end of the day all i see on the empirical evidence side is a lot of people taking a lot of money from what i like to envision as elderly people trying to make ends meet paying their property taxes well you know what really kind of boggles my mind is if you work in government you can get rich just by working for government. I mean, we all have this belief, these like public servants who make like no money. And I mean, that's true if you're like entry level, I guess. But there was this great article, not surprisingly written by Kevin Williams to the National Review, in which he goes on to point out how you we've all read the stories, right? Where like the police chief in this like tiny police town is making like $300,000 or this county manager is bringing in $500,000, you know, with overtime and all this other craziness. And not to mention the benefits, the retirement benefits uh, that you can get. And so you can make plenty of money being a legal civil civil servant. Why people go this route, I have no idea. I mean, I think it just goes – I think one of the problems you have in North Carolina and especially southeastern North Carolina is that – I mean, if you look at the growth in this area – New Hanover County in particular, and now what we're seeing in Brunswick is like one of the fastest growing counties in the country, is that these were small towns. And the reality is, is that small towns are like the most corrupt because no one's paying attention because there's like no one there. And so what's happened is you have this sort of small mind mentality that is then blown up with all of this money that's coming in because all these people are moving here. And it leads to that problem being, you know, probably exacerbated because, you know, you look at like a small town, like I said, it's small, it doesn't have that much money, you really can't do that much damage. The more power you get by accumulating more money and everything else, the more you go, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and eventually it's, it's, it's obviously hurting them. But that's, I think, one of the problems, especially southeastern North Carolina, was that, I mean, the growth in this area, I mean, it doubled over 10 years. We're looking at maybe another, or 20 years. We're looking at another doubling of the population over the next 20. That's insane growth. And so you think about how small New Hanover County and some of these other counties were, like Brunswick County, for example, that you could get away with that. And they never would have gotten caught. If it wasn't for the growth of these areas, they probably never would have gotten caught. I mean, one of the greatest examples is R.C. Souls from Brunswick County, who was for 50 years was in office. And then it was about, I guess, probably 10 years. He finally left office and then all this stuff came out about him. But I think he had to leave office because there was too much scrutiny on him. We, we were getting too big. There were, there were too many news outlets. There were too many people watching. And I think that's one of the problems that North Carolina is now the number ninth most populous state in the country. So these areas where you could get away with this 20 years ago, you can't get away with it anymore. And that's what's happening. 
Yeah, I think we need to bring back Scooby-Doo, you know, <laughs> but, but just for the public sector, I, I'd have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids coming out here and checking our finances. But um, I think you're exactly right. It's it's a complete lack of oversight and accountability. And people always point to the public sector as a do no wrong. You know, we need more tax money. We need more revenue because we're just helping people. We're providing health care and resources and parks and police and fire and all these great things. Right. But when you add it up, a lot of the money is not really um, it, it's kind of just spent by the few people who decide to get involved and spend it. And sometimes that is for personal gain. Sometimes it does go back into the community, but it's pet projects. They buy a park from some developer who pushed them into doing it so that they could benefit from it. Um, you know, and one of the other things that really kills me is at the same time as people are praising the public sector, they're demonizing capitalism and and how businesses are just out for the shareholders, but yet the shareholders would notice if the balance sheet was off. Whereas taxpayers, they don't get a balance sheet they can understand to even know what is going on financially in their town. And so really, if if, if you looked at these town managers or sheriffs or, or county managers or register of deeds or any of these big offices that have these big budgets, if this were a company the accounting and oversight and shareholder responsibility would be vastly more stringent than the public sector is. So I really feel like people need to stop pointing their finger at how bad capitalism is and start saying, why don't we adopt these policies? Because I can tell you if the CEO of Facebook was misspending money or running a separate business on the side or drug trafficking, there would probably be a little bit more outrage by the company responsible. While, let me remind you at the same time, it's all voluntary. They're not taking money from everyone by force like government is. Oh, and I'm glad you brought that up because that that was the main point of Williamson's article, because he said these liberals freak out about capitalism all the time and the Fortune 500 CEOs. And can you believe how much money these CEOs make? He's like, first of all, Fortune 500, there's only 500 of them. Uh, The average CEO in this in this country makes like. I think it was like 200,000. I mean, which is good money, but nowhere near the 50, 60, 70 million dollars that we hear about, you know, that like Lloyd Blankfein makes over Goldman Sachs and and people like that. But what he pointed out is that if you don't like what Warren Buffett's doing, if you don't like what Lloyd Blankfein's doing, if you don't like what these guys are doing, you sell your shares in the company. You can't sell your shares. I can't sell my shares of Wilmington. I can't just sell my shares of New Hanover County. And if I don't pay my taxes, they come at me with guns and remove me from my house because I didn't pay property tax. Goldman Sachs doesn't do that. If I go, you know what? I don't like your product. I'm selling your shares. They go, okay, thanks. They take them and sell them to someone else. And yet we get mad at the crooks on Wall Street, which we should. And, you know, if we bail them out, even more so. But we get more. How do, why do we get more angry about the crooks at Wall Street who just dupe their investors when these guys are duping us and taking our money at gunpoint and we don't, we're like, Oh, that's just a bad apple. Most of them are good. And it's, 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 you're hundred percent right. I mean, it's, it's, it's straight up hypocrisy that we get more outraged about the crooks on wall street than the crooks in local government. 
I completely agree. And that's why I keep waiting for people to voluntarily send in extra tax checks to help pay for universal (laughs) Medicare, because I don't know how you're going to triple everyone's tax rates and then keep the corruption and everything out of out of it as well. I I don't I don't ever see it as possible. We, We the idea that perfect socialism hasn't happened yet is is a pipe dream, Tyler. Well, we've never done it right. We've never done socialism correctly. One day we will do it correctly and it will fail the way it's supposed to. It's kind of reminds me of this podcast. One day we will do it the right way. Until then, we'll just continue continue doing our, our own little versions of it until we get it right. I agree. I like that way better. Wrong way is much more fun. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll do it the wrong way again next week. Thanks for joining me, Tyler. All right, man. I'll see you.